Hey there, and welcome to my show, The Muses Merkaba. I'm your host, Elle Megan, and if you landed here, it's no coincidence. It means your intuition brought you here, and you're ready for inspiration and wanting to manifest the life of your wildest dreams. So, let's jump right in. On the 7th of July 2017, I arrived at a Mallorca finca in the middle of the island, the middle of nowhere near a sleepy village of El Gaida, about 40 minutes from Palma. I drove up to the finca in anticipation, holding some anxiety and not quite knowing how the following few days would unfold. I had arrived at the ayahuasca retreat I had signed up for. I drove up in my mini along a long, dry and dusty road and parked up when I got to the finca. A few of the retreat guests had already arrived, so I acquainted myself with them and said hello to the retreat hosts, Mark and his wife, Lynette, the shaman, Pitt, and his assistant, Paolo. I had met the four of them the week before, as I had driven up to do a recce before I committed to throwing myself into the deep end. Being an ayahuasca virgin and new to the concept of drinking plant medicine and purging in sync with some randoms inside a dark yurt. I had first heard the word ayahuasca about four years prior to that, so 2012. When my cousin told me about the magical plant medicine, she wanted us to go to Peru to partake in one of the Amazonian tribal ceremonies. Although I had never made it to Peru, I had dabbled in the idea of trying this while I was in Byron Bay, Australia. One New Year's Day, I woke up in my car after passing out after an insane house party in the Byron Shire, a little magical place called The Pocket. The same party in Ireland would be dubbed a music festival. However, this was just a local throwing a party for other locals on his many acres of land. DJs, light shows, yet no cover charge, just offering love for his neighbours. It was hard to crack an invite as they are rather tight in Byron, keeping their tribe close to heart. Luckily, I had my way in through my friend Sarah, who was invited to join the party. Homemade margaritas and fresh MDMA, the night unfolded lovingly before we passed out in the car. I happened to be wearing a little sexy black bodysuit I bought in Bali with a little sequin skirt over it. The bodysuit was a low cut in a V-shape down my front and unfortunately my boobs kept wanting to jump out. I woke up sweating around 10am in the front seat of the car and quickly noticed my right boob was out and then suddenly noticed a strange man with his camera photographing the scene. Makeup fit for a kiss concert, bed hair stuck across my forehead and the urge to throw up. I screamed at the pervert, opened the door and was about to throw my boot at her before realising it would be such a mission to take off. By the time I'd popped the boot back in and jumped out the car, he was gone. I jumped back into the car and turned to my friend and said, I want to do ayahuasca. She hadn't even heard of it. I later did some research online for a retreat or ceremony in Byron Bay, but couldn't find anything that would suit my time frame. Most of the ceremonies were already booked out, so I put that on the back burner. This was New Year's Day, January 2017, and the first time those words came out of my mouth, I want to do ayahuasca. I guess you could say this was the first time, the first moment, I had a true calling to sit in ceremony. I spent the next few months living in Sydney, Australia, before making my way back up to Mallorca in Spain in April. After my six-month stint in Australia, I got back to Mallorca, and within the first week, I noticed a Facebook advert pop up in my newsfeed for an ayahuasca retreat in Mallorca. 
I thought this would be ideal as I'd planned to be in Mallorca inevitably, so I should avail of it and save on a flight to Peru. Looking through the Facebook page for the retreat and watching every single video on YouTube about ayahuasca, I drove out to the middle of the island to the finca where the retreat was held and to do my Reiki. I asked the retreat host and the shaman a million questions. Luckily, there were a few people leaving their five-day retreat that day, so I continued to interrogate them. I left that afternoon feeling totally comfortable. All my questions had been answered. I felt good energy from the retreat hosts and the shaman, so decided I was going to give it a go. I should probably mention here that the shaman hosting the ceremony was from Byron Bay. He came over to Spain with his girlfriend. They met in Byron and she convinced him to come to the Balearics for the summer. It's as if it was meant to be. Byron and Ayahuasca came to me. Before I take you through my journey of the ceremonies, I'll give you the ins and outs of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca isn't something you'd want to do with your friends on a Friday night. It needs to be taken in a controlled environment with a shaman and under strict supervision. It doesn't quite have the same fun factor as other psychedelics or alcohol. Ayahuasca is serious, otherworldly, intense, awakening, and very transformative. Ayahuasca and other psychedelics have scientifically proven benefits across the spectrum of healthcare. There is evidence that psychedelics can drastically ease the fear of death for terminally ill patients. We also see people finding relief from depression, anxiety and PTSD. It also helps people suffering from seizures and Parkinson's, the list goes on and on. Ayahuasca is not a drug. It is a powerful healing substance for those who take it with the intent of improving their lives. Take any substance such as alcohol, cocaine, heroin, amphetamines, etc. and apply the use of any of those substances to an individual's life and no matter what, you will always see some kind of decline in their quality of life. Whether it's a smaller suffering, a hangover, to as debilitating as ending up on the streets or in jail, without fail, there will always be some kind of decrease in the overall quality of life with the use of non-psychedelic substances. Now, take psychedelics. Of course, psychedelics can be used in a way to get high, but I'm referring here to the people that use psychedelics with a specific intention. When you take any person or group of people and apply the responsible use of psychedelics, you will almost always see some kind of increase in their overall quality of life. Worst case scenario, there will be no change whatsoever from before to after use. What you will almost never see is any kind of decrease in the user's overall quality of life. One thing for sure is that taking ayahuasca is not usually fun and definitely not a recreational experience. It frequently causes drinkers to vomit or purge and sometimes shit themselves a great deal during a ceremony. This is because ayahuasca is a purgative and one of the ways it heals you is by causing the body to expel all the nasty toxins that have accumulated over a long period of time. These toxins are often energetic toxins as well as physical and they are all purged out during the ceremony if necessary. After an ayahuasca ceremony is finished, most people report feeling an incredible sense of well-being, like they've just been handed a brand new body. Unlike with most Western street drugs, there's no hangover or come down the next day. In fact, it's totally the opposite. Although you may feel a little tired, perhaps, because sleeping is often difficult straight after a ceremony. Research also confirms that ayahuasca is not addictive. 
Ayahuasca was traditionally administered in special healing ceremonies by highly trained shamans known as ayahuasqueros and is sometimes referred to as a hallucinogen, but it is no such thing. For while a hallucinogen produces visual phenomena rooted in the individual psyche, ayahuasca actually opens up channels to the spirit world and the drinker bears witness to that landscape. Best to name ayahuasca a sacred plant medicine. For those who use ayah in ceremonial healings, the brew is often referred to as la medicina, the medicine. In nature, a number of plants and fungi are known for their vision-inducing effects. Peyote, San Pedro cactus, iboga, and silicabi mushrooms are all used in traditional ceremonies to gain access to the spirit world and to affect healing. But unlike all of these single species agents, ayahuasca is combinatory, made up of two plants, and there the mystery is greatly compounded. The mother vine, also known as the vine of the soul, contains a group of compounds called homala alkaloids. These compounds are MAO inhibitors. They prevent the activity of naturally occurring agents in our bodies called monoamine oxidase. Think of MAOs as the doorman standing in front of a nightclub of your brain. Psychoactive compounds, notably the potent vision-inducing agent DMT, want to get into the club, and they attach themselves to your brain's receptors. But the MAO dormant prevent this from happening. The homala alkaloids in the vine, however, tell the dormant to take a nice long coffee break. So they do. That's when the Psychotria viridis, which is rich in DMT, comes into play. DMT is the most potent vision-inducing agent known. And oddly, DMT is not only found in many hundreds of plants all around the world, but it's also manufactured in our own bodies. Yes, your body manufactures DMT. But thanks to those MAO dormant, we do not trip on DMT all day long, unfortunately. So the enigma of ayahuasca is that somehow, by some means, some native person a very, very long time ago figured out to combine the homala alkaloid-rich carpi vine with DMT-rich chacruna. Ayahuasca is made by pounding sections of the vine to remove the outer bark and to soften up the rope-like fibers of the vine. A large amount of the vine is then placed into a large cooking pot. On top of the pounded vine, a large quantity of the Psychotria viridis, or the chacruna leaves, are added. Then another layer of the pounded vine is added, then another layer of the chacruna leaves. When the pot is pretty filled, almost to the top, with pounded vine and leaves, then the water is added. If the pot is large enough, as much as 40 litres of water may be added. Then the mixture is cooked over a fire for several hours. Over time, the liquid in the pot begins to evaporate. After several hours, perhaps eight or so, the ayahuasca is finished. The pieces of vine and leaves are filtered out through a strainer. Only a litre of viscous fluid remains. This liquid is la medicina. While ayahuasca ceremonies vary from one shaman to another and from one tribal tradition to the next, certain features remain constant. A true ayahuasca ceremony brings together the ayahuasca brew, the shaman, and the plant spirits. This force engages in ceremony to affect healing and to open up the doors of the spirit world to the participant. Typically an ounce or two of the brew is drunk. The ayahuasca brew is intensely bitter and the taste is unpleasant even for those who are experienced drinkers. It tasted to me like molasses.
In some ceremonies, the shamans sit quietly with the participants in the dark for about 40 minutes or so as the effects of the ayahuasca start to come on. However, some shamans begin to sing and make ethereal whistling sounds as soon as the brew has been drunk. It is typical and common for the shaman to blow smoke of potent Amazonian tobacco, called mapacho, on the participants to cleanse the atmosphere and to establish an aura of protection. Within about an hour after drinking the brew, visions usually start. There is a geometry common to the ayahuasca experience, and this geometry is beautifully represented in the textiles and ceramics of the Shapobo native people of Peru. Most people who journey with ayahuasca see that geometry. As the visions increase, the shamans sing healing spirit songs known as Icaros. These evocative haunting tunes bring the participant deeper into the ayahuasca mystery. If you ask the ayahuasca for healing, it will usually provide what you seek. There are many thousands of cases in which people have been healed of physical, mental and emotional disorders, and many curious cases of recovery from grave and even fatal disorders. There is much to investigate about the healing properties of ayahuasca. A large number of people have been cured of addictions through a few ayahuasca ceremonies, and the cases of post-ayahuasca cancer remission are too numerous to ignore. Purging is typical and common in the ayahuasca ceremony. Most participants throw up at some point in the ceremony. Some also get diarrhea. The cleansing effects of ayahuasca are well known and are just part of the ceremony. For most participants, purging is a relief. Typically, the purging does not last long and the ayahuasca experience becomes much stronger afterwards. People see and experience all kinds of phenomena while on an ayahuasca journey. You may see deceased relatives, spirits of every kind, vast landscapes of natural or manufactured forms, animals, insects, serpents, birds, and various creatures of nature. And as you engage in ceremonies over time, you start to learn to negotiate the spirit landscape and to enlist the aid of certain spirits for your own healing and spiritual awakening. For the person who has never participated in an ayahuasca ceremony, it is easy to assume that the brew causes the drinker to hallucinate and that this explains the ayahuasca experience. But when you have engaged in ayahuasca ceremonies with highly trained shamans who make the brew correctly, such simplistic and reductionistic explanations fall apart completely. The spirit landscape, in all its mystery, beauty, splendor, terror, majesty, and strangeness, is its own world, and the ayahuasca lets you into that world. Ayahuasca is clearly not for everybody. The experience is typically intense and can be terrifying. The spirit landscape is beautiful, but can also be overwhelming to some. Still, ayahuasca helps to put into order the body, mind, and spirit with the past, the present, and the future. Because of this extraordinary healing power, ayahuasca is a revered brew, and ayahuasca ceremonies are increasingly sought over by people from all over the world. Some flock to Peru, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Costa Rica to participate in ceremonies in the Amazon, and others drink in urban and suburban venues, in ceremonies led by shamans who tour. In many ways, through a great many people, ayahuasca, la medicina, is making herself known. This potent Amazon brew has the power not only to heal, but to transform your understanding and experience of reality. The journey begins when one has decided to work with ayahuasca, and the journey doesn't end after your first ayahuasca experience, but rather has only just begun. The insights into oneself and the nature of this mysterious life we live, as gleaned from even a single ayahuasca experience, can be wholly transformative. 
This sacred medicine can bring one into direct contact with one's higher self or spirit, which consequently facilitates the deep healing often encountered by ayahuasca users. It is as if the medicine allows for one's habitual mental state and tendencies to be temporarily suspended so that a more profound state of being, not normally accessible in our day-to-day -day lives, can be accessed. Investigations have also shown that ayahuasca hyperactivates the entire brain region where we store and process emotional memory, often uncovering long-forgotten memories. This hyperactivation overrides previously deep-seated emotional patterns, thereby permitting the creation of new neural connections. Many ayahuasca pilgrims travel across the globe for reasons such as healing from trauma, drug addiction, anxiety, depression, and even cancer. Others simply seek to deepen their spiritual connection to themselves and to something greater. Ayahuasca may show us the way, but it is up to us to walk the path and materialize the insights received outside of ceremony. A spiritual practice can provide the context and supportive background necessary to integrate one's ceremonial experience, and like a mirror, can also reflect and inform one's future ceremonial experiences. While an ayahuasca session may elicit a profound experience for some that allows them to completely break free of certain negative thought patterns and traumas for good, for others the experience may only offer a temporary reprieve. This is why the cultivation of a spiritual practice is of paramount importance. After all, ayahuasca connects us to our spirits, the source of our being that is often and unfortunately ignored. Without a spiritual practice of some kind, integration of our ceremonial experiences becomes more difficult and we become prone to the habitual tendencies of our minds, which are often destructive and self-limiting. The essence of spiritual practice is simple, yet can easily take a lifetime to master, learning how to love, accept and forgive oneself. The types of spiritual practices available are numerous, but they all share the simple essence of self-acceptance. Each person's spiritual practice is a highly personal yet ultimately universal process. The grand advantage of working with ayahuasca is that it can propel one forward in the process of self-acceptance and forgiveness, allowing one to progress and overcome years of accumulated sorrow, sometimes even in a single night. Profound awakenings of the heart can take place. We awaken from our spiritual slumber and remember the noble wholeness of spirit. With a spiritual practice, we begin to view ourselves, our ayahuasca experiences, and our relationship to the world and all it contains in a completely different light. The people we cross paths with, the events, circumstances, and experiences of our daily lives becomes the fuel for our continual awakening and opening. One of the most obvious spiritual practices that one can engage in is a form of meditation. Recent research has shown that ayahuasca increases mindfulness-related capacities in long-term users, where mindfulness can be characterized by a single state of present, open, and non-judgmental awareness. Aside from mindfulness-based practices arising from the Buddhist tradition, there are numerous spiritual paths one can follow. Perhaps Native American spirituality rings more true for you, or Mayan from Mexico, or a Taoist approach. Maybe it's the Hindu yoga tradition that makes more sense, or shamanism, or a combination of all approaches. The possibilities are limitless. What matters is not the spiritual framework one chooses, but only an incredible interest in choosing, exploring, and using the teachings we encounter in order to heal ourselves, to reach our highest human potential. 
we can then become an inspiration for others. Ayahuasca is a powerful healing medicine in its own right. A dedicated spiritual practice can sustain balance and promote healthy living. The combination of the two hold an immense potential for not only profound healing, but also expansion of human consciousness and evolution. And in conjunction with your meditation, yoga, or other mindfulness-based practice, ayahuasca can change your life for the better. When used properly and under the guidance of trained shamans, the experience is extraordinary and deeply healing. People say that one strong medicine ceremony is akin to years of therapy, and I can vouch for that. My ayahuasca experience at the Finca in Mallorca was nothing short of extraordinary. I was at the retreat for five days and sat in ceremony for three nights, drinking the brew. I was fully organized and properly prepared. I did the ayahuasca diet, uh, where you're not allowed to have alcohol, salt, pepper, sugar, caffeine, mushrooms, avocado. There's a whole list of things that you are not able to eat before. Um, you have to be off any antidepressants, any medicine, supplements even. You can't even take St. John's wort, which is the natural antidepressant. It is also important to remain sexually abstinent prior to doing your ayahuasca ceremony and a few days afterwards. This includes masturbation. The explanation behind this is for purification. It's part of the purification process and purifying your energy so that the ayahuasca can take full effect. I chose this particular retreat uh, in Mallorca because it fell on special dates. It started on the 7th of July 2017, so that's 07, 07 2017, which happens to be the Dalai Lama's birthday, and it was a full moon. And the retreat ended on the 11th of July 2017. The ceremony started at 10 p.m. at night, so after sunset we were all dressed in white and we hung around outside the yurt, all chatting and sort of getting to know each other. Because it was summer in Mallorca in Spain, the sunset's pretty late, so it was around half nine at night. When the sun set and the moon had risen into the sky, we were all called to the entrance of the yurt, and the hosts Lynette and Mark were guiding us in. Our shaman pit was already inside the yurt, cleansing it and preparing it for ceremony. So there were about 15 of us in total and we all lined up outside in our like white dresses. The guys were dressed in white pants and white t-shirts or shirts. Before we were all able to enter the yurt, we were all saged down by the shaman pit with sage and palisanto. We all entered one by one and we sat in a circle around the edge of the inside of the yurt. In the center of the yurt was an altar where we were all invited to put a personal piece of something of importance down on the altar. I had some mala beads that I had from India, so I put those down. I think I put one of my crystals, probably my black obsidian, and I put down some frankincense, which I also got from India. There were all sorts of things on the altar, mostly crystals, mala beads, uh, jewelry, some photos, incense, anything of sort of spiritual importance that one would put on the altar at home, we were invited to put on the shared altar in the space.
So inside the yurt, we were each we each had a bed or a mattress with a sheet. Obviously, it was very hot. It was Mallorca, so it was probably 40 degrees heat even at night. And obviously, there's no fan or AC inside the yurt. And we had a pillow. And besides each mattress, we had a bucket, which we would be using later that evening for purging. We were also invited to set an intention for each of the three ceremonies that we did. So I had actually, in my typical Chantal Virgo style, had a whole page, a whole list of intentions of what I wanted to get out of my ceremony. So I had written everything down before, and I folded that up on a piece of paper and placed it under my pillow, under my mattress in the yurt. I chose the seat directly next to the shaman. Uh, I guess I wanted to get as much magical energy as possible. Good bang for my money. So I chose to sit next to Shaman Pitt and on the left of me was a girl who soon became a good friend of mine. Her name's Sarah, she was from England. So there were 15 of us in the yurt, mixture between guys and girls and all ages. I think the youngest guy was possibly 20 years old and he was from London. And the oldest man, I say, might have been in his 50s. When I arrived at the retreat earlier that afternoon, I went in knowing absolutely nobody and Today, sitting here in Mexico and talking about my story, I can honestly say that I have made some lifelong friends. I've got my soul sisters, Ina from Germany, who I met at the retreat, Sarah from England and Amy from England, Mark and Lynette from the UK, who now live in Bali, who I last saw in Bali just before I left. And then there's our lovely shaman, Pitt, who's from Byron Bay, who I've met up with in Bali a couple of times as well. So once we were all saged and seated on our mattress, our shaman pit started with the music and playing the most beautiful musical instruments. I remember him having an Indian shruti box. I think he had a didgeridoo. He had some sort of like rain shaker, maracas, bongo drums, and all sorts of beautiful instruments and a guitar. And uh, he also played some music as well, some beautiful akaros, which are typical ayahuasca songs, which sort of get you in the mood and uh, elevate your energy. The yurt smelled absolutely beautiful, a mixture of incense and sage and palisanto. It was candlelit. There were a few candles around the altar and around the space. Obviously, it was very dark because it was uh, the sun had already set and the moon had risen, so it was quite dark inside the yurt, although it was lit up at the time with candles. Not long after we were all seated and ready, the hosts came into the space with their daughter, Livy, who was about five years old at the time, and she came and she walked to the front of the altar or in front of where shaman pit was sitting and she sat down at the cup and she blessed love into the cup and she set her intention for us all to have a good journey and she was putting love into the cup I thought that was so beautiful and it was just it really just touched the space and made it super super special and added a bit of a mixture between some feminine and childlike playful innocent energy which was just beautiful so just like that, our night and ceremony had begun. Pitt had blessed the cup and he started on the right side of him going around the group. So around about 15 people before it got to me, I was the last person to drink. 
So each person drank, each person would be invited to go up to the front, in front of Pitt, and he would pour a cup of the brew of ayahuasca in a cup and hand it to that person. That person would be kneeling down, receive the cup, set the intention, and give thanks to Mother Ayahuasca, also known as Madre, or Grandmother Energy. They would drink the cup, and it wasn't the tastiest of drinks I've ever had, to be honest, uh, but each person would drink the cup, and it would go around, and the next person would come up. So at this stage, I was, I think, number 15, the last person. I think there were 15 of us in total. And I went up and tried to drink this, and it was just vile. It tasted like really bitter molasses to me. At this stage, everyone was quiet. The shaman was playing his music, whether it was instrument or through his iPad, iKaros music, and everyone was pretty chilled. No one had purged. I set my intention. My intention for my first sitting of ceremony was forgiveness. I wanted to forgive myself and to forgive my mother for dying when I was 16. I guess I struggled with this for a while and held a lot of anger and resentment towards her and was just very angry and agitated and I just wanted to go into ceremony and just feel complete forgiveness for her and myself so that I could move forward and just feel love and sort of get on with my life. So I drank my cup, set my intention, thanked the shaman and Mother Ayahuasca and made my way back to my mat. It felt like the instant I sat down on my mat, I started purging. I grabbed for the little bucket on the right of me, put my head inside the bucket and just started purging and purging. And I, I don't think I stopped for what felt like a good hour. It was probably only a few minutes, but it just came out of nowhere and I just couldn't stop. But it was a very invigorating feeling and a very cleansing feeling, if that um, is even possible. Can you feel that you're cleansing while you're vomiting? As soon as I started purging, I think I opened the floodgates for the collective because they all grabbed for their buckets and started. When my purging stopped, the visuals started and the sound and the scent and the feeling everything. It was absolutely phenomenal. I felt like I'd gone to the circus or fairground attraction and I was on like a ferris wheel just going around in circles. Um, so when the visuals kicked in, I looked over to the shaman which was sitting to the right of me and his assistant Paolo uh, looking over to them for recognition and just to make sure that everything and like validation that everything was okay and I was meant to be seeing this stuff kind of like waiting for the nod and they were sitting on a Persian carpet and the floral designs from the Persian carpet started growing up like over overhead and into the ceiling of the yurt and sort of like taking over the whole yurt like ivy almost on a wall it was absolutely beautiful I wasn't scared or afraid or nervous or anxious at all. I was quite the opposite. I was very content and calm and loving it. The colors were extraordinary, like super bright. Uh, light started coming up between the cracks in the wooden floorboards of the yurt um, in all different sort of sequences, almost like a rainbow. So the first sort of panel, the light coming through would be red and then the second one, orange, yellow, green. And um, I could feel like, ice cold air coming through those floorboard cracks. I mean, you wouldn't even notice them 
you know, straight and in normal daylight, you wouldn't even notice the cracks in the floorboard. But the, it was like gaping holes, gaping gaps between each each wooden um, plank. So at this stage, I'm sitting on my mat with my sick bucket beside me, and the room is pitch black. Well. All the candles had been blown out after we had all drank. So we were sitting there in pitch dark. And I was, like I said, I just saw these visuals and these colors. And it was so bright. It was like I was at a laser light show or a rave in the 90s. It was just phenomenal, like laser lights everywhere. I, As I sat there, my tattoos started flying off of me and just... I wasn't aware that all my tattoos are kind of geometric in shape and all these like sacred geometry symbols started flinging around me and sort of forming with my tattoos that were coming off me. And I've got a swallow on my left wrist and I remember the swallow sort of flying off and like flying around me and chirping and almost like it had turned into a cartoon sort of character. Uh, Unexplainable, it was insane. Uh, The sounds were super sharp. Uh, my ears felt so in tune. I could hear frequency. I could almost hear the sound of like energy moving. And it was just like no words can describe it. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And as I sat there, I looked up and it was as if I was at a carousel at a fun fair with all those sort of like little horses that the kids sit on and go around and the sound was going around. It was, it was crazy. So at this stage, other people started to feel the effects of the ayahuasca. As I said, I was the last to drink, the first to purge and the first to start seeing visuals and hearing sound and experiencing this absolute wonder. Uh, I glanced over at the shaman and he formed a an alien. <laughs> he was sitting there, and he had this massive alien head. And he was he was a white alien, uh, bright white with these big dark black eyes. Uh, it, but it was beautiful. I wasn't scared in the slightest. And at this stage, the other the other guests uh, started coming on as well, and started feeling the effects. And with ayahuasca, it affects ayahuasca tells you what you need to know not what you want to know and it's different for everyone and it brings up all sorts of emotions so some people were crying some people were laughing the youngest guy who was I think 19 from London he was just in stitches of laughter the whole time he just could not stop laughing and then there was an older lady who just couldn't stop crying Um, some people were screaming like screaming into their buckets so lots of sort of sensations going on around you but it's a very inward journey and we were told as well before we went into ceremony not to make eye contact and not to look at anybody else that it's your personal journey so although I'm surrounded by what 15 guests and uh, the host Mark and then Shaman and uh, Paolo his assistant um, I'm aware of their their energy and their body their physical bodies around me and their souls but I'm not like looking at them but I'm very aware of their presence however at the same time I feel like I'm on this journey completely alone able to get up and walk out the yurt as we wanted to you know we were guided to where we knew where the bathroom was Uh, as I mentioned some people get the shit so some people really need to go to the toilet Um, some people just want to walk around my friend Sarah just felt the urge to do yoga so she just got up and she was stretching and I felt like I needed to get up and walk around I just couldn't sit still so I left the yurt and sort of opened the door to this beautiful like 
oh my gosh, it was like I'd stepped into fairyland. It was absolutely magical. Of course, it was full moon, so the sky was very, very bright. And we in the middle of a, we at a finca in the middle of, you know, the bush in Mallorca. So it's super quiet, but obviously I could hear the sounds of crickets and insects. And the sky was just beautifully lit. I could see every star just perfectly in the sky. Uh, I'm very into astrology and the planets and moon cycles and things like that. So um, I looked up to the sky and the moon was just super huge and super close. And the moon was sitting in an oyster shell. And I remember like st- uh, lifting my arm up into the air to like touch the moon. And I literally picked the moon out the oyster shell and held it in my hand, in my left hand. And I was just like looking at this moon, almost like my crystal, my crystal ball looking into the moon. And then I looked up at the sky and oh, I could see this constellation so clearly. Now I've got those apps where you can look up at the sky and it'll tell you there's the Virgo, there's Capricorn, uh, there's Venus, there's the, you know, whatever. But I, um, I don't really ever see them with the naked eye. You know, you see the three sisters and a few other things, but I don't see the constellations that clearly well this night I could see everything super clearly it was absolutely magical and I was literally going around in order so like Virgo Libra Scorpio Sag Cap it was just it was crazy I was just I think my my jaw was so sore from smiling the whole time it was just the most beautiful experience Uh, the hosts had set up these lovely sort of uh, areas outside the yurt as well for everyone's comfort because they knew that people would want to like walk around outside or chill outside so there were different cushions and areas to to sit on outside and I sort of walked around the it's not really a garden but the bush for a while and uh, you know the grass is pretty high it's because it's the bush it's not cut or anything and like the the leaves of the grass, this long grass, and you know, the the plants and things were just bright, bright colours, like neon pink, neon yellow, neon green, and they were sort of like swaying in the wind. I don't even know if it was windy or if it, you know this is part of the journey, but they were swaying in the wind and almost like whispering to me, and I could hear them all like. It was crazy, and then I'd look up at the one. There was a tree, I think it was the wishing tree, and you could go and, everyone was going up to this tree at some stage during the the ceremony over five days, and like hugging it, or touching it, or leaving a note or something, and apparently this was the wishing tree. And this wishing tree, like I could see a face on on the tree trunk, and it was, you know, I could see the, the soul and the life in this tree. And the leaves, as they were swaying in the wind, it was like they were waving at me going, hey, hey. (laughs) It was just beautiful. So I had my whole sort of visual of the moon in my hand, like a crystal ball, and the constellations in the sky, and the trees waving at me, and the neon grass moving, and it was beautiful. Um, uh, The young guy had climbed up one of the trees at this stage, and he was sitting in the tree, and he was just laughing his head off, just could not stop laughing. So that put a massive smile on my face as well. And I was just like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Some people had bad experiences. Um, my friend from Germany had quite a rough experience doing a lot of shadow work and dealing with you know, a lot of things that came up. So it was quite difficult to sort of hear her struggle. Um, so I was hearing her struggle and scream and almost like in pain 
and you know sadness and stuff and then I've got this other guy just laughing his head off and then another guy like just vomiting into his bucket non-stop so all these things were going on Uh, I sat down on one of the cushions outside and I was just yeah I was just looking up at the moon and just taking everything in and just going this is just amazing like why is this the first time I've ever done plant medicine and why doesn't everyone do this stuff like everyone should be doing this on a daily basis I reckon it'll wipe out war everyone will be loved up everyone will be happy Um, and I was sitting there and suddenly I saw I don't want to say hundreds but like a good maybe 50 or 60 people but obviously not physical people just souls just walking around just walking around in the bush and around the yurt and if you've seen the movie City of Angels with Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage that kind of depicts it perfectly with all the angels dressed in like black cloaks sort of just around us all the time oh I've got goosebumps just saying that now and I saw this all these people and these well these souls uh just walking around and sitting down and the one went and sat in the tree with the other guy that was laughing his head off and there were just people or souls all around me it was just I'd never I've never felt so so much unconditional love and compassion and just content I was so comfortable I was so happy as I said I just could not wipe the smile off my face at all while this is all going on the shaman is in the yurt still um, holding space and looking after the people that are there going through their journeys some people couldn't even get up off their mat some people just lay on their mat the entire time the entire night or the entire three nights we sat in ceremony um, whereas some people were rather active like Sarah who was doing yoga and I just couldn't sit still I was up and down all the time and but the shaman pit he's sitting in the yurt and he's just playing this most beautiful music and singing and I was just like wow why is he a shaman he's like the best singer I've ever heard and it was just playing these instruments it just everything came to life I was like I was in a magical fairy garden and I could see fairies and tree nymphs and goblins and just everything out of a fairy book Um, it was just I, I just can't even there's just no words to explain how beautiful it was so while I'm sitting outside just enjoying this listening to the sounds of the shaman singing in the yurt and watching all these visuals and seeing these souls walk around and looking at the moon and the constellations um, and seeing the like the neon grass waving in the wind I I was looking at the sky and just in absolute utter happiness and I could feel tears started streaming down my face and I was thinking well this is weird because I'm not sad I'm really really happy right now I'm smiling and I can feel the tears rolling down my rolling down my face and suddenly in the sky I saw like a 3D scan so you know when you you're pregnant and you go to the doctor and you have a scan I saw a 3D scan of a baby so I was looking at this thinking oh this is a bit weird I wonder what this means and like what what is this is this me when I was a baby was this my you know my mom's scan of me or or what I didn't quite understand what was going on and then the 3D scan it was like the baby stepped out like was growing in the scan so the different scans you get I guess so I was sort of seeing that sort of timeline or formation and then the baby like stepped the the, the scan the scanned baby stepped out of the visual the scan which was in the sky and started to walk over to me 
and sat down next to me. And it was my child that I'd miscarried five years before that. So she would have been five years old. I was pregnant with my boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, Sam, and I had a miscarriage at nine weeks. Um, uh, and we were going to call her Skylar Emily because a sky, I love the sky and whatever. So anyway, this little daughter, this little girl steps out of the sky, out of the scan and walks over to me, sits down to me on the left-hand side and starts saying to me, it's okay, mama, it's okay, mama. And I look at her and it's a splitting image of me as a child, um, like messy beach hair, blonde, uh, no shoes, little like, I think she was, I don't know, in a little bikini or cozy or something. And she sits down at me and she like puts her little hand around me and I'm thinking, am I seeing this or what the hell is going on? Um, and she's like patting me on the back almost and she's going, it's okay, mama, it's okay, mama. Um, I, you miscarried me because you weren't ready to be a mother because of your fears of that you wouldn't be a good mother but I forgive you and it's okay and I'm with you and everything's going to be okay and I just burst into tears because I didn't realize that I even struggled with the fact that I had a miscarriage or anything like that it was an unplanned pregnancy uh, we felt pregnant we found out at seven weeks or eight weeks and then I miscarried like a week later so it was it, it came around very quickly we found out we were pregnant we were actually in New Orleans and we'd just come back from a family visit in South Africa he took me home to meet the family and his friend's wedding and I was so tired all the time and I kept saying Sam Sam I'm so tired there's something wrong and he's like oh it's just jet lag you'll be fine uh, we got back to the states and we did a roadie from Atlanta to Louisiana through Memphis um, and we were in New Orleans on our way back to Florida and we went to this cafe, this restaurant called Cafe Amelie, which is actually Liv Tyler's godmother Amelie's restaurant, which is just amazing, absolutely beautiful. And that morning <clears throat> I had said to Sam, like, I'm, I just need to do a pregnancy test and I'd gone to the Walgreens um, while he was in the shower and I bought three pregnancy tests, came back to the hotel, did all three and voila. I was having a baby and so we were both like really shocked and you know completely unplanned and whatever so we went we were like okay well let's just go for lunch so we went for lunch and we went to Cafe Emily and we were sitting there and uh, Liv Tyler walked in actually because as I said it was her godmother's restaurant so she walked in and we started chatting to her um, there was a funny story with the entrance of the restaurant just stunk like dog shit. So when we came in and there was dog shit all over the pavement, I had made a comment to the manager saying, you might want to clear that up because it's kind of off-putting if anyone wants to come in. And um, he was like, oh, thank you so much for letting us know. So we were like laughing about it. We still wanted to go in. Um, we actually didn't know at the stage that it was Liv Tyler's godmother's restaurant at all. We just, we were walking past. It looked really quaint and cute and in this like little magical garden. So we decided to go in for lunch and, you know, discuss how we're going to deal with this newfound pregnancy. So we're sitting there having brunch and... Um, and then this woman walks in and we can hear her at, you know, just in front of us at the manager at the check-in desk uh, telling him the same story, like there's shit on the pavement, you might want to clean it up. So 
Sam sort of leans over to her and says, yeah, that's what we said and whatever. Anyway, she turns around and it's Liv Tyler looking beautiful as ever. Uh, she's wearing blue denim jeans and just a white t-shirt, like no makeup on, hair loose, like just so cash, but just absolutely beautiful. And she was like, yeah, no, it's really bad. Hey, I'm so sorry about that. And we were like, no, not at all. Um, you know, th- we told him as well. And she was like, I'm so, so sorry. Um, it'll be sorted out. And we were like, you don't, like, why are you apologizing? And she was like, no, this is my... It's um, my godmother's restaurant, actually. So that was really special. So we decided we would, at that brunch, we decided we were going to call the daughter. Um, we were going to call her Skylar Emily. Skylar, a couple of nights before, um, oh no, sorry, a couple of months before we were in Denver and Colorado. And we went out to this restaurant and we had this waiter serve us. And his name was Skylar. And I was like, oh, that's such a beautiful name. And obviously I love the sky and astrology and the moon and everything. So yeah, Skylar's the perfect name. So fast forward to a couple of months and we're sitting there and we meet, well, we're at this restaurant, Cafe Amelie. So we decided we'd call our daughter Skylar Amelie. So that's where her name came from. So this little girl that's sitting next to me in um, while I'm on ayahuasca, I knew straight away that that was Skylar Emily. She was just, yeah, beautiful. I just knew. And she was forgiving me and basically telling me not to like hold anything. And obviously, subconsciously, I'd held some, some pain that I hadn't dealt with, which all came up. As I said, when I went into ceremony, my intention was for forgiveness, to forgive myself and to forgive my mom for holding all this resentment and anger for her death and leaving me when I was 16. My mom died of meningitis. Um, which she hadn't known about. She thought it was flu, ended up in a coma for three months and then died just before Christmas. So I was 16 and for many, many years I just held, I was just so angry, like how could my mom leave and there's no God and all this stuff. So I just wanted to sort of make peace with it, um, not knowing that I needed to forgive myself and my daughter, I guess, or my child for the whole miscarriage. So that all came up, which was beautiful. So I'm sitting there with Skylar, you know, rubbing my back, telling me it's okay, um, this is the reason why I didn't come into um, life at this time was because you had this massive fear and obviously the energy and stuff kind of, you know, stopped childbirth really. And next thing, um, I look to the right of me and my mother is sitting next to me. And she then says to me, um, I'm so sorry for leaving you. Um, I didn't intentionally want to leave you obviously it wasn't my plan at all but it was it was my sole contract and it was my time to go and I've you know I've had other things to do um my soul has other things to do so my time on earth was was up and I needed to leave but I didn't want to leave you I didn't leave because I you know wanted wanted to abandon you or I didn't love you or anything like that it was just my sole contract and my dying um, is going to teach you so much about yourself and about life and you are going to be able to help so many people going forward and teach people and guide people so that was like a massive I don't know, shake up and smack to the face. I don't know. Uh, The tears were just streaming down my face at this stage. So there's like three generations of us sitting, me, the only one that's alive on earth, and um, my child and my mother on the other side. Um, It was just absolutely beautiful. I was just lapping it in, and it, it felt like time had stood still. It felt like I was there with them for for hours and hours, but um, I think was probably 40 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, not long after that, so I'm sitting on the mat just crying, but but like happy tears. I wasn't, 
depressed or sad or anything like that. I just felt so much unconditional love and an understanding, a clear, clear understanding that um, we're all one and we're all together and and just because our human eyes don't see the souls and the spirits you know on the other side of the veil that they're still there and it's energy and energy you know never starts and it never ends it's just continuous and that gave me such consolation that I'm so loved and I'm so protected and all those that have left me are with me all the time and for the first time in my life I was not scared of dying and I was actually looking forward to you know I kind of thought to myself well I can't wait to die and cross over to the other side and be on that other side because they get to see us and each other whereas us humans down here we just see human form right not not fun um, but they get to see all the souls before them that have left all their families and friends that have left and us so to them they are so happy and you know they just hold so much love and compassion and gratitude and just everything was just amazing I just felt so good so while I'm sitting there feeling all the feels and crying at the same time, happy tears, my host Mark came over to me and sort of patted me and he was like, um, we we're about to drink another cup if you're interested. And I'm like wiping the tears off my face and sobbing and I'm like, uh, uh, okay. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I'm ready. You know, I'm still like buzzing and just seeing all this stuff, like what else is there to, you know, why do I need more? And he, I said, okay, I'm coming now. And he's like, well, you don't have to, you know, it's, it's not a competition. You don't have to drink it. And I was like, no, 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 I definitely won some, but I'm definitely going to have half a dose this time. So I got up with him and he guided me back to the yurt and I went in and again, we, we could all go up um, as we wished to to drink some more from the cup I went up and had a bit more and came and sat down and uh, I didn't purge the second time around I just sat there and I was just just gleaming and taking it all in and just absolutely loving and relishing the moment so the night continued we continued our journey and uh, the shaman continued playing beautiful music people were walking around going through all sorts of emotions, as I said, crying, laughing, going to the toilet. I went to the toilet a few times. Um, I didn't shit myself, thank goodness. Um, everything was quite normal in that department. I think everyone sort of dreads the whole idea of like shitting yourself and not having control over your um, your your bowel movements. Um, but that doesn't, I don't think people literally shit themselves. I mean, we all wear white as well. So I was kind of thinking, well, that's a bit contentious if everyone's in white and they start shitting themselves. But I think it just means that you kind of, um, you have the runs. But luckily I was fine with that one. And um, so we continued in the yurt for a few more hours. I don't know, it's so strange. Time, you know, time is obviously, it's a, it's a human concept that we have, you know, created, it doesn't actually exist. So during the journey, we were there for eight hours. Um, it felt like time had stood still, uh, but it had got, it went by so fast really, it was crazy. And uh, we were all, it was in the morning around 6 a.m. And we all sort of, we were just super chilled at this stage and um, all feeling the effects very much. And then Shaman said, uh, he said, right, my lovelies, 
we're all going to uh, come back into our human body, into our human form, and um, you know, wake up and uh, get ready for some some food, some soup. So I just thought, well, how the hell am I just going to come back into my body, into human form? I'm like, I'm out of space right now. I'm on another planet. I'm seeing colors and visuals and all sorts of things. Like, how am I just going to sort of snap out of it? But I did. It was really strange. She did this sort of like drumming journey, drumming down. So at the start of the ceremony, he starts drumming and it almost like drums up the tempo, sort of like builds up the energy. And with this one, at the end of the night, he was like drumming down, like slowing us down. And it worked. And it's almost like he waved a magic wand, clicked his fingers, and I was back in my human body feeling completely normal, not seeing colors, not hearing sounds, not seeing visuals. And I was like, wow, that's really strange. And then the hosts came in with big pots of soup. And I I don't eat soup. I've never been a soup eater. Even when I lived in London and Dublin in the freezing cold weather, Never ate soup, not a fan. And I remember thinking, oh my God, the last thing I want to eat now is, I can't even eat right now. That's the last thing I want to do. I must mention that during the journey, during the ceremony, we've all got water bottles beside us as well, so we can continuously um, top up on water and stay hydrated. So Lynette and Mark came into the yurt with these big pots of tomato soup I think we had on the first night and they dished them up and passed them around and I got past a bowl and I thought oh no anyway I thought let me just try it I was in heaven I actually had two bowls I just lapped it all up and it was so nurturing and comforting and it was just the best thing ever. I just, I've never loved a bowl of soup that much in my entire life. And bearing in mind, we're in Mallorca, it's summer, it's about say seven o'clock in the morning, so it's warm, I'd probably say 30 degrees. We're in a yurt, there's no AC, no fan, uh, I don't even think the door was open at this stage and we eat or drinking soup. Uh, but it was absolutely amazing. It was just divine. I could feel it going down my throat and like I could almost feel it digesting and just working wonders. It was absolutely magical. So after we had our breakfast, I guess you could call it, uh, we were all told that we could lie down and sleep and uh, wake up whenever we want to. So we all sort of we all just passed out on our mats. Uh, we all stayed in the yurt, which was lovely. Uh, and I think there's something special about that because our souls definitely connected on that journey. Uh, we've all connected in some strange way. And I believe that all those people that are on that retreat, that specific day, um, on that ceremony, I believe we all made that contract before we came onto this earth, that we would be doing that ceremony and all connecting. And we were all connected somehow in past lives, without a doubt, definitely. And there's still a deep, deep connection with all those people that I met at that retreat, in particular four of the girls. So we all slept on our little mats with our pillows. At this stage, we took all our sick buckets outside and the hosts cleaned those up, thankfully. And we just all passed out on our mats. Um, I didn't know. At first I thought, how am I going to sleep? It's so hot and uncomfortable and with all these people in the room. But I've just passed out and just had the best sleep ever. 
I think I woke up at about four o'clock that afternoon, uh, went for a swim, went for a shower, and we had some more like lunch outside. The food was amazing. We had Murphy, which is a good friend of mine as well. She's living in Byron Bay now. Uh, she was the chef. She was an ex-yachty and got into the whole plant medicine ayahuasca ceremonies and she was chefing for these guys now. So she just made the most amazing salads and vegetables. And I, I remember saying to her, like, you're wasting your time in yachting. You seriously need to be a sh- like full-time, you need to be a chef full-time doing this. So, yeah, it was just, the food was just amazing. It's all vegan and uh, no caffeine, uh, obviously no alcohol or anything like that. So it's all just, I just felt so, it just felt like such a good cleanse and purification and detox and everything, apart from the ayahuasca and that whole sort of spiritual cleanse I felt like my body had an amazing cleanse as well which was just brilliant so after lunch well late lunch around four o'clock we all sat around the table outside and the shaman this was our sharing session so the shaman had this massive I think it was a hawk or an eagle's feather and that was sort of the point uh, the the talking whoever talks holds the feather and then passes it on to the next person So we went around in a circle and each person shared their experience, what they felt, what they got out of it. Um, Some people got nothing out of it at all, like did not feel a thing, did not see a thing, hear a thing, nothing. And then people like myself and my German friend, we were out of space. My friend from Germany, Ina, she was literally out of space. She was on another planet and couldn't come down. So she was really freaking out and she just wanted to get back into her body. Um, so she was completely astral traveling and her soul had like left her body. Um, luckily mine hadn't. I wasn't, I was on another planet completely, but I felt like I was in heaven or something. But uh, we all shared our experience. Uh, I think mine was probably the most visual uh, in terms of colors and lights and sounds. I'm not sure why, maybe because I detoxed a lot before that or because I've done hallucinogenics before in the past. Um, I don't know. But I just had the most beautiful experience and I got exactly what I set my intention for, forgiveness, forgiveness of my mom and myself. I got that and more because my daughter, my miscarried child, came up as well and I got to deal with those emotions that I'd obviously buried very deep down subconsciously so that was very good. So after our sharing session which was quite emotional as well uh, there was a chance we could do whatever we wanted to so we could go into yoga or we could go for a walk we could swim by the pool so a few of us went and chilled by the pool and enjoyed that And then we had dinner in the evening and I think everyone was pretty tired from the ayahuasca because it's quite a heavy journey and we all just had a really chilled night in the year together. So we we sat in ceremony for the first night. The second night we had a night off where we were just integrating because after your ayahuasca experience or ceremony journey for eight hours in the yurt, uh, the ayahuasca is still in your system and it's still working for hours, days, weeks, months, years afterwards. It doesn't leave your body as such. Like you're still integrating and dealing with what you went through. It doesn't mean that you come out of the yurt and all of a sudden the ayahuasca and the effects is gone. There's still a lot of integration after your ceremony, after your retreat, and perhaps even years afterwards. So the second night of sitting in ceremony, I set the intention for unconditional love and compassion. 
um, I had my forgiveness and I wanted to kind of move over to the next step of just feeling unconditional love. Um, obviously having lost a mother and I'd gone through a divorce and a really bad breakup with Sam and my miscarriage and, and experienced a few friends' deaths and stuff. So I sort of felt like... Um, I just wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling loved and I wasn't feeling like I could give love and I wasn't feeling compassion. I had a lot of anger in me. So my second intention was for compassion and unconditional love. And I also set the intention, I actually said, please, Madre or Mother Ayahuasca, I do not want to go to the fairground or the circus tonight. I just want to chill out and have a calm, relaxed night. And that's exactly what I got. So the same sort of thing. We were all sitting in the yurt and little Livy came in and put love into the cup. And the shaman was singing and playing instruments and going around. And we came up and drank the cup um, exactly the same as the first night. I did purge. And this night when I purged, all I could smell and taste was Sprite, the soda Sprite, which is really strange because I don't even know when last I had a Sprite. It's not my, I don't really drink sodas and if anything, I'd have a Coke, not a Sprite. But my, my sick <laughs> just smelled like Sprite, very, very strong, strong Sprite smell. And I remember looking into the bucket and my sick was just, it was just amazing sacred geometry shapes and it was just moving around and it was it was green um but like neon green but like all cells it was like, i can't even explain it. it was like putting um i don't know something a tomato or something under a microscope and sort of looking at the different cell formations and geometry it was just I just can't explain it. It was just so bizarre. Um, but it was lovely, and I was really enjoying it, like looking down into the bucket, smelling the sprout, and looking at my vomit um, in this like sacred geometry formation. It was crazy. So I lay on my mat all night. I don't even think I got up. I might have got up once or twice for the loo, but I lay there, and I just sunk. It felt like I was in like this massive, comfortable bed with a million pillows, um, I just felt like I just sunk deep, 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 deep down into this mattress, but it wasn't. It was like a two-inch like yoga mat on the floor that I was sleeping on with one lumpy pillow. It definitely wasn't comfortable, but I was so comfortable, and I just felt such unconditional love. I felt um, like tickling or tapping on my crown chakra, and it almost felt like someone had opened up a tap, and and this like energy was just either coming out or going into my head I don't know and I was like what is going on but it was beautiful again I was not scared I felt absolute love uh it was just beautiful absolutely beautiful so the night ended in the same way as the first night uh, we all, we had soup the next morning, it was a different soup, I think we had carrot or vegetable, mixed veg, I'm not sure, but again, I absolutely loved it, and and then we integrated again, and had our little um, our sharing session, and more time by the pool, I think that evening we had, we did some ecstatic dance with Paolo in the yurt, and I think we did some yoga as well, but at this stage we were all bonding so beautifully, and sharing, and it was just, it's just such a magical journey. And the third night, so then, sorry, we had a, a, another night of rest or integration after that. So 
we didn't do ayahuasca in three consecutive nights. We had a break in between for integration. And the third night, the last night, same thing. We all dressed in white. We go in, we get sage down, we set the intention. My intention for the third night was to um, open up my kundalini energy and tap into my clairvoyance. So I've, I'm a bit clairaudient, as in, and clairsentient. I sense things, I can feel things, I can feel the energy and presence of spirits, and I hear things. So I want to be clear, I wanted, my intention was to be clairvoyant, so that I could physically see them, um, which I'm kind of still working on, but getting getting close. I mean, when Christian died, I physically saw him lying on the bed next to me. Um, the clairsentient, I feel him lying next to me and hugging me and holding me. Um, I can smell as well, which is a very, very strong one. I can smell my friend Jess a lot. Um, yeah, so I'm really trying to like tap into this whole medium realm of things which I've kind of always had in me for many years and I first tapped into it when I was 28. So I think I was um, 30, 38 or 39 when I went and did this ayahuasca retreat in Mallorca. So the third night I've asked for, set the intention for my cla clairvoyance to tap in and, um, and my kundalini energy. Again, I said, I don't want to go to the circus, I just want a chilled night. And again, that's exactly what I got, which was wonderful. So I think if you go in and you set your intention, although, as I said before, ayahuasca gives you what you need to know. It tells you what you need to know, not what you want. But I got what I want and what I needed to know. Um, yeah, and another magical experience. No crazy visuals or anything like that. I could still, sounds were still super sharp. I could still see colors beautifully, but I didn't see the moon in an oyster shell in my hand or the constellations or um, my tattoos flying off me or the carousel or anything like that. The, the second two nights, that was only the first night. Uh, I remember the last night thinking, oh, I kind of want to see all this stuff because it's my last night because you sit three times, but I didn't. The next day... We all went down to the beach, we jumped in our cars, went down to the beach, went to a restaurant together, had the most delicious pizza. Because at this stage we've all been eating soup and vegetables and salad and I think everyone just wanted some like junk food and stodge. So I remember we all went to this lovely place down the road by the beach and we, um, we had a great swim at the beach and then we went for pizza and some drinks. And that was the end of the five-day ceremony. I, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back to my house. Um, so we said goodbye to each other, which was really sad, and promised we'd all keep in contact, which we still have, which is amazing. So that was the last day when I left the Finca and the retreat, and that was the 11th of July, 2017. And I jumped in my mini, and I drove back to my apartment, which was in Palma de Mallorca. I arrived at my apartment that evening around four or five. My friend Jess was staying in my apartment. I had two little budgie birds uh, called Shiva and Ganesh. So Jess had offered to come and look after the birds and feed them while I was away for the five nights. She was a yacht chef and her crew had an apartment just down the road, literally about two minutes walk from where my apartment was in Porto P, which was the area that I stayed in overlooking the boat marina. So Jess's crew had a crew house and she kind of wanted to escape them and just come and like hang out at my place. I had a really lovely apartment and obviously I welcomed her to go and stay and look after my birds and just to enjoy her space. So I got back that evening on the 11th 
and obviously she wanted to know all about my ceremony and the retreat and what I had experienced and everything that I'd seen. So I sat down with Jess on the couch and I think we must have spoken for about six hours and I told her all about my experience. I told her how I had seen my mother and my daughter that I miscarried, how I saw all the souls walking around and my experience with death and I told her how they are with us all the time and we are constantly connected. We just can't see it. We just can't see the other side of the veil until we take ayahuasca and then everything opens up to us and everything becomes crystal clear and apparent and how beautiful it is and how the souls and those that we love that have passed are with us all the time and they could see us how beautiful it is to you know connect with the other side I told her not to be afraid of dying I told her that I was no longer afraid of dying and that I actually couldn't wait to die because it's a beautiful place and it's magical and there's nothing to be afraid of I told her how I felt absolute unconditional love and complete contentment and just how happy I was to be connected to that realm and to be able to see it and visualize it and feel it and hear it and we sat for, like I said, six hours and just had a deep, deep uh, chat about death and dying and the other realms. We eventually went to bed around two o'clock in the morning, having a very deep and meaningful conversation about connecting to spirit, about seeing the other side of the veil, connecting to our deceased loved ones. And Jess had expressed her interest in doing an ayahuasca retreat. Uh, her birthday was the end of September, mine was the middle of September, so we had sort of planned to do something towards the end of September in the middle to do another retreat together. She wanted to sit with me and um, that would be after her yachting season would have finished, so, so she would have had time to do it. So we had planned to go and sit in ceremony late September so that she could experience ayahuasca as well and connect to the other side. Jess had lost her grandmother, whom she was very close to, and... Um, had wanted to connect with her as well. So we went to bed and the next morning we woke up, Jess packed up her clothes and a few bits that she had brought to the house and went back to her apartment. Uh, the following day I actually met up with some of the girls that were on the retreat. They were coming into Palmer for the day before they were flying out that evening. So I met up with the girls and we had a lovely uh, lunch in town with some sangria. The next few days or weeks after my ceremony when I'd returned home and back to reality and my normal life, nothing was the same. Nothing felt the same. I felt like I was on a pink cloud. I felt like I was floating. I looked at everything through completely different new eyes. I had love and compassion for everyone. I wasn't afraid of anything. I felt like I had conquered the world, conquered all my demons and done a lot of shadow work. I used to drive around Mallorca quite a lot in my little car, I'd go up the roads in Dea and Valladamasa and go to little cafes and restaurants or to the beach. And I would literally just stop at all these places after my ayahuasca retreat and just see everything as if it was the first time that I'd been to these places. But I'd seen them hundreds of times before. But everything was... I was seeing things through completely different eyes. I was appreciating people. I was, you know, seeing people differently. And I just had so much, um, like, thanks and appreciation and gratitude for absolutely everything around me. 
Another thing I should mention here was before I went to the retreat, I got E. coli. E. coli is bacteria in the stomach. I caught E. coli when I was in India, in Rishikesh, doing my yoga teacher training at the ashram. And I was violently sick, ended up in a hospital in um, emergency, thought I was going to die, survived that, went on to the Philippines, ended up on a drip in my hotel because there was no hospital on Boracay, the island I was staying on. The, the doctors wanted to airlift me by helicopter to Manila because I had a coli again and I was like on my deathbed. Um, I had to sign an NDA saying I did not want to leave. Um, I was in so much pain, I couldn't bear the thought of getting into a helicopter and flying to Manila. Um, I then moved on to Sydney. I got a coli three times in Sydney and I got it in uh, Mallorca about once or twice, I think, before I sat in ceremony. So with E. coli, it keeps on coming back, which was an absolute pain, and it's incredibly painful. And no matter how much I detoxed or medication or anything I took, I kept on um, having these relapses. Since I've done ayahuasca, touch wood, I have not had E. coli again. So that would be since uh, July 2017. I have had no E. coli relapse, and my stomach has been absolutely perfect since. After my ayahuasca retreat, everything went somewhat back to normal. I was still floating on this beautiful pink fluffy, fluffy cloud. Uh, I had gratitude for everything. I saw everything differently. Everything was more colorful and brighter. Sounds were sharper. Um, I noticed things that I hadn't noticed before, like birds chirping and, you know, just all, it, like my life changed completely after doing the ayahuasca. Definitely opened up my third eye. When I came out the retreat, I also had an urge to paint and to do some art. Now, I've got no background in art. I never studied art at school. I never dabbled in art. I never tried. I used to joke saying I can't even draw a stick man straight. And I remember having that conversation with Jess after ayahuasca that night on the couch and saying to her, I've just got this urge to paint. And like, I've got this word resin in my head and I just want to, to paint. But I wouldn't even know where the hell to start. Now, Jess was an artist, a phenomenal artist. And she said to me, Shan, you never know until you try. Just um, go to the art shop, buy some paints, and just start. So I actually had absolutely no idea what to even buy. Jess suggested I just go to the art store, pick up a few canvases, some acrylic paints, and to buy resin. And she had explained to me I buy the resin and the hardener and mix it together. And I went to the art store and I spent, I think, 400 euros on a bunch of art supplies. Brought them back. They were in a box in my lounge. And I remember sitting at these every day, staring at them, going, what the actual fuck? What do I think I'm going to do? I wouldn't even know where to start. And just staring at this box of paints, thinking I've just literally thrown 400 euros down the drain. During the week, Jess and I would meet up and we would go to the local bars. We would go, I think it was Taco Tuesdays actually, which is quite funny because here I am in Mexico now. We would go to Taco Tuesdays in Palma Central. Um, we would drive up to Dea. We went to our favorite little cafe. We would listen to Rodriguez. I had I had a CD player in my car. Um, we'd listen to Rodriguez uh, and we would just, our favorite song, Jess and my song was Inner City Blues. And we would just drive around listening to music and we'd go to we'd go to our favorite little uh, Vietnamese restaurant, I think it was called Miss Saigon or Miss Vietnam or something like that in Megalouve actually. Uh, it was the best. And we would just hang out. We really bonded and we hung out a lot uh, the next few days after the ayahuasca retreat. 
and just really connected and just had a really special bond and it was lovely. Jess was then planning to leave on her boat. Her boat was going across to Ibiza for two weeks and Jess was the chef on her boat. So uh, she was planning to leave. I remember dropping her. The last time I saw her, we'd gone to, I think that was Miss Saigon in Magaluf for our Asian meal. And I dropped her at home at her apartment and she was, that was a Thursday and she was leaving to go the following day to Ibiza. And I remember saying, we said goodbye to each other and I said, oh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And she, you know, we had made plans for her to return mid-September and then go and do this ayahuasca retreat again. So Jess jumped out the car, we said our farewells to each other and she left. While Jess was in Ibiza, we kept in contact uh, over WhatsApp and she was keeping me updated on the guest trip and how she was doing and just, you know, checking up on each other and everything was great. And she was going out on a Friday night with her crew. The guests were not coming on board that night. They were going out for dinner in Ibiza, so she had the night off. And all the crew went out for uh, sangria and pizza in Ibiza port. And we were texting each other that night and... She seemed really happy and she told me that she was going to go meet up with Simon, this Tinder date that she had actually met up with. She started the Tinder chat in Mallorca, met up with him in Mallorca and he happened to be in Ibiza as well. So she was quite excited about going off to uh, meet Simon. So, you know, I told her to have a great time and, and then that was that. The following morning I woke up to texts from my friend Briar, Jess and I, it was myself, Briar and Jess and the three of us were inseparable in Mallorca, we did everything together and she had asked me if I'd seen a post on Jess's wall that Saturday morning or late Friday night which I hadn't seen, I think the post had actually been deleted at that stage. Um, her cousin had posted something saying, Jess, you know, hang in there, stick with us, you can't leave us now, Some, something along those lines. And I didn't really know what that was all about. So I drove up to Briar's place and we tried to like analyze what was going on. Anyway, long story short, Jess had gone out that Friday evening uh, to meet Simon at DC10, this club in Ibiza. Now, if you have been to D, uh, if you have been to Ibiza, you would know DC10 is known as Crack Den DC10. It's not the sort of club that I would go to. I would go to like Space or Oshiawa or Pasha or one of those sort of places. Um, and Jess, Jess was so innocent and naive. Uh, she'd never touched a drug in her life and she was really like really, really good girl. So she didn't know. Simon had just invited her to go to DC10 and she obliged. So apparently she got a taxi across there and met up with him. Jess ended up having a cardiac arrest that evening at the club DC10. She was brain dead on arrival to the hospital in Ibiza, which was about 20 minutes away. And she was in a coma for four days and she passed away at 11 a.m. on, I think it was a Tuesday, the 25th of July. 2017. Brian and I were actually sitting at the beach. We were looking after each other those four longest and most unbearable days when we knew Jess was in a coma and didn't really know what the hell was going on. So Brian and I did not leave each other's sides and we were at the beach the morning of the Tuesday when we got the news and I remember 
going in for a swim, um, you know, we were constantly looking at our phones to see if there was an update. And we were planning, we were actually looking at flights over to Ibiza that night so we could go and see Jason Hospital. I went for a swim and as I came out the water, I said to Briar, I've got a very bad feeling. Have you heard anything? And she looked at me and she said, no, I haven't. There's been no updates since. And as she said that, her phone pinged. She picked up her phone and we had just received the news that Jess had died. I don't think Brian and I said a word to each other. I turned to the side and vomited in the sand. Obviously, we were both crying. We both packed up our stuff, walked to our cars. Briar went, got in her car and went home. I got in my car and went home. I got to my apartment. I ran across the road, bought a bottle of Rioja wine, got into my apartment, unpacked my box of art supplies and started painting and crying. I was listening to music on like full volume of my Sonos and I was just crying and drinking and painting and crying and drinking and painting. And that became my norm for the next few months. I think I ended up doing about 26 acrylic resin paintings, um, which I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just splashing around and just throwing out. It was just, it was so, therapeutic to be able to splash around and to sort of <laughs> express my pain and just a way of absolute release. It felt really, really good. Unfortunately, with all of that, I was just drinking more and more. Um, I was up to like four bottles of Rioja red wine a day. There was a bottle store just across the road, so it was super easy for me. And wine in Mallorca is so cheap and so delicious. I think I paid like two euro for a bottle of like proper, amazing Rioja. So I literally had closed the blinds and the curtains in the house. I had the AC on constantly. I'd, I think I stayed in the same pajamas for a month and I just cried and painted non-stop. It was really difficult because Jess had a fridge full of food at my house, um, crudités and vegetables and she obviously she was a chef so she and she was a very healthy eater so she had all stuff with juicing and I remember not being able to touch anything. Uh, one, I just couldn't eat, completely lost my appetite. And two, I didn't want to touch anything. I wanted to keep her stuff there forever. I, I could not throw it away. And just before I'd actually left Mallorca, so I decided it was my birthday in September, the 12th of September, and a couple of friends took me out. And I just wasn't enjoying the dinner or anything at all. And I remember we were at this really fancy fine dining restaurant eating this amazing food and I went to the bathroom that night and I felt sick so I went to throw up and I, I think my head was over the toilet for about two hours and I felt like I just vomited like weeks and weeks of drinking Rioja just came up and I came back to the table and I just said I wanted to go home I got home and I booked myself a one-way ticket to Bali I knew that I needed to escape get away from Mallorca get away from that space and just kind of run away from from the pain so so when I was packing up my apartment in Mallorca, I obviously had to get rid of all the things in the fridge and it was the most traumatic experience. I almost did like a whole ritual of throwing her stuff out. But a really good friend of mine who was also a chef, he said to me, Jess being a chef would not like all that moldy food in my fridge and that I should really throw it away. She would she would not want me to keep it. But um so that was really difficult, throwing away like <laughs> celery and carrot sticks and hummus and all Jess's stuff. I just did not want to let go of anything. And the smell of her like lingered in my apartment as well. I just, 
it was so weird. I felt her around all the time. Our song Inner City Blues came on everywhere I went. Now Rodriguez isn't really known to everyone. It's a real South African. He's from Detroit, but it is South Africans, every South African I know knows Rodriguez. And it's it was like in my era when I was growing up. So you know, I would walk into a restaurant in Dea or Valle de Massa and Rodriguez would start playing over over the speakers. In fact, there was one restaurant in Valle de Massa and I went in and Brian and I drove up and we went there for lunch the one day and um, I wanted a table outside and the, the service was just shocking and there were so many people and I just, when someone dies, you completely fucking lose your shit. Like any, you, you just have a very short fuse and you just snap and shout at it. Like you just, you can't cope because you're in fight or flight mode and you know, you're going through extreme PTSD and everything is just difficult and your emotions are just next level. So I remember going into this restaurant in Dea, or Valadimosa, I think it was Valadimosa, and um, going in and just shouting at the manager, like shouting for service and saying, I need to sit down, I want a table, can someone please serve me? And, you know, he wasn't an arsehole, I would have kicked me out, I would have been an arsehole to me and told me to fuck off, but he was so kind and he walked up to me, he gave me a hug, he put his arms around me and he told me that my friend was with me and um, it was the the craziest thing and um, he then he told me to wait he went and got me a limoncello shot and he came back he gave that to me and then he went over to uh, the sp his speakers and his sound and he put on inner city blues from Rodriguez and I remember just standing there going, this can't be fucking happening. Like, how the hell does this guy know? First of all, he's told me my friend is with me and he's put on our song. Like, not just, he didn't put I Wonder or Sugar Man. He put on Inner City Blues. That was mine and Jess's song. And he put that on and he took me outside to the table. And there was, he was, he said, okay, well, we'll just wait for them. They're leaving now. I want you to sit at that table. And I was like, well, can I not just sit at that one over there that's empty? And he was like, no, that table is Rodriguez's table. And I remember thinking, like, am, have, like, am I on drugs or what? Have I lost the plot? Has something happened? Have I got like early onset dementia or something? Like, what is happening? And he ended up telling me that Rodriguez has a house in Valladolid, in that area, and he always comes to that restaurant, and that was his table. And I remember looking at this guy, going, "How do you know? How do you know that?" the connection with Rodriguez. How do you know that my friend is with me? And he just looked at me and smiled and turned around and walked off. It was the craziest, craziest moment of my life. So life continued. It was probably the hardest death I'd ever experienced. I took it very badly. You know, I'd lost my mom. I lost my friend Vernon. I lost my friend Brandon. There had been a few other deaths. Um, I'd had a miscarriage at the stage, a really bad breakup, which was just as bad as a death. But Jess's death, still to this day, is probably the hardest death that I've ever experienced. I think because it was murder. You know, her drink was spiked with GHB, and that's what killed her. Um, she didn't commit suicide, so it wasn't her intention. She didn't choose to leave. She wasn't ill or anything like that. Someone actually, she wasn't responsible for her death. And um, it really stung. And as I've said before, every time there's a new death, it regurgitates every last death before that. So this was just really, really incredibly difficult for me. So I had 
decided to move to Bali, to run away and escape all this pain to Bali. I thought it would help with my healing. I got to Bali and um, I wasn't there for very long, like a week or two, and I wanted to go see my healer, um, an Indian guru. He lives in Ubud, um, and he works at the yoga barn. And I'd gone to him in 2016, the year before, and met him for the first time. And he had told me some amazing, amazing things. This guy was just, the things that he told me about my past, present, and future, and about dreams that I had, he was just next level. I highly recommend him. Punu Wasu works at the um, Ubud Yoga Barn. He also does, uh, he's got a residency in Switzerland. So he spends half the year in Switzerland and the other half in Ubud. Amazing. I went to visit Punu and obviously I broke down and explained my story and you know I was trying to after Jess's death I was kind of struggling with this concept or this idea that I had like manifested it uh, because I had come back from the retreat and I was talking about death and dying and how beautiful it was and I was I kind of felt like responsible for her death and somewhat guilty and I asked him I said you know well why was I drawn to do ayahuasca and then you know deal with this death was it preparing me was ayahuasca and the whole plant ceremony plant medicine ceremony preparing me for her death to understand because you know obviously I was heartbroken and angry and completely depressed and miserable that she had died but I had still had all those learnings from that ayahuasca ceremony that death is a beautiful thing and it's wonderful and there's actually no such thing as death as you know they're still living we just can't see them and they're still around us all the time and not to be afraid so I was trying to incorporate those learnings that I picked up and learned from the ayahuasca ceremony that I had told Jess, but I was still in so much pain and I just couldn't understand this. And I was trying to synergize these two sort of concepts together. So I asked him, I said, was ayahuasca, was the ceremony preparing me for Jess's death? And he looked at me and he put his hand on his heart and he said to me, no, you were preparing Jess for her death. So I spent the next few months in Bali, three months to be exact, on this deep, deep healing journey, trying to understand and to deal with losing my best friend. And three months after that, I got the call from my cousin in Scotland to tell me that my cousin Dakota in Vancouver had died by suicide. And then 15 months after Dakota's death, I had... Well, I went through um, my fiancé's suicide and, of course, just before that, losing another child, another miscarriage. So <laughs> since my first ayahuasca ceremony, I have experienced a lot of death. Jess, Dakota, my child, and Christian. Um, I definitely think that having done ayahuasca and, you know, the learnings of death and the spirit realm and how we all connected and that we all source energy and they never really go anywhere that they're always there we just can't see them that has really been my saving grace in getting me through all these deaths I think after Jess's death I wanted to kill myself literally I wanted to commit suicide I didn't know how I could go on but something stopped me probably Jess and my understanding of death and that we all connected so I would just continually talk to her and ask for guidance and support and strength to get me through it and I think she was definitely there I think she still is and has helped me along my journey I think if I hadn't done ayahuasca I would not still be here I know I wouldn't be here I would have <laughs> I would be long gone but 
it's given me an understanding about death and living and how to to appreciate every moment that you've got while you are alive um, and because life is so short and it can be taken from you in any given moment however they are still around they are with us all the time so that really helped me I continued to paint. I painted in Bali and then I moved on to Australia and I painted in Australia and I've been painting in Mexico and it is so healing and um, therapeutic and it really, really helps. And I almost feel like I'm channeling, channeling Jess and Dakota. Dakota was also an artist. She loved to paint. And every time I do a painting, I burn some incense, I meditate first, I call them in, and then I just start painting. And I don't know where it comes from. I don't have like a concept or strategy or an idea of what I'm going to do. I literally just meditate and then just start splashing around colors. And then this colorful magic appears on my canvas. I have sold a few, which has been amazing and a massive shock and surprise to me. So that was really exciting and I feel like um, it's something that I need to sort of pursue a bit more. Every time I go to psychic or medium, they always tell me I need to write my book and I need to paint and that my paintings are going to make me a lot of money. So I'm still waiting for that, but I haven't really marketed them or put them out there. But I think that's going to be my goal this year. Um, I haven't done an ayahuasca ceremony since since that July 2017 I feel like I've had a lot of integration to do because obviously just after that was Jess's death then Dakota's and Christian's and you know it's been an ongoing sort of journey dealing with all these deaths and still integrating and trying to understand everything but I have felt a calling to do ayahuasca again this year so I'm actually going off to to do another ceremony in Costa Rica in two weeks time um, so I'm really looking forward to it and to see what learnings I will get from that. And I almost feel like it's going to be a closing cycle because, as you know, everything in this world is cyclical and everything's in cycles. And I think that ayahuasca ceremony that I did in 2017 opened up a cycle of absolute death and and rebirth for me after every death because I have grown and evolved so much spiritually and as a person um, with understanding of death and myself and how we all connected and yeah so with every death that I've gone through it's been like a rebirthing process for me and that's been four now so I'm looking forward to going and sitting again I think it's going to be a closing of the current cycle that I've been in I don't think I'm going to come out and there's going to be more deaths I think it's going to be quite the opposite I think there's just going to be a whole lot of rebirths or birthing um, for me going forward I've got a very good feeling about it I'm not afraid at all I have a very strong feeling I'm going to connect with Jess and Dakota. I don't really have a feeling like I'm going to connect with Christian, strangely, but I definitely feel I'm going to connect with Jess. Not long after Jess died, I obviously the shaman and the hosts and you know who are now my really good friends um, at the Finca in Mallorca, they invited me to come back to the Finca to do a, like a ceremony for Jess to her farewell her body was cremated in Ibiza or Mallorca I think I think she was moved from Ibiza to Mallorca and then cremated and then her ashes were sent back to South Africa and her ceremony her celebration of life was on the 19th of August 2017 which obviously I couldn't attend because I was in Mallorca living in Mallorca 
Um, so Briar and myself, we went back to the yurt, uh, introduced Briar to my shaman pit, and he did a beautiful farewell ceremony for Briar and myself uh, to say goodbye to Jess, which was very, very, very difficult. We sat in the yurt and um, we had to say our goodbyes and yeah, we just cried and cried and it was yeah, incredibly hard, but very, very beautiful and touching. And I definitely got some sort of a closure or letting go of Jess. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to go off to Costa Rica in two weeks to sit again. I have no idea what will come up. You never know what will come up. Uh, you know, ayahuasca gives you what you need, but I've got a really good feeling about it and I look forward to it and I look forward to sharing my story. I'm sorry I have not continue so after the ayahuasca retreat before Jess died I did when I went on the retreat I did vlogs every day I did like a few, uh, short little videos I did on my laptop because I wanted a reference for when I returned back to normal life and reality so I've got these on YouTube I will drop the links below so if you are interested you can actually go and see because I walk around with my laptop and you can see the yurt and the space and uh, it's quite raw because I literally came out the ceremony and the next day I was like recording my experience. So there's probably a few bits on there that I haven't mentioned in this podcast, if you are interested in looking at. I also did a video at my apartment in Mallorca the day I left to go on the retreat and the day that I came back. And I just look at these two snapshots of me and I'm like, they are two different people. I'm like glowing. I've got this amazing ayahuasca afterglow on my fifth day when I came out of ceremony. Um, so it's very interesting for me to like look back and compare the person going into the, leaving to go on the retreat during my retreat I look absolutely shattered and worn out and broken and then coming out of the retreat I've got this massive like afterglow which was just amazing uh, so I'll drop the links to those YouTube videos if you're interested in looking and I do plan to do the same when I go on this retreat in Costa Rica. I will do a little vlog so that you can all see the space and the place. And um, I'll share my story with you guys. So I hope you've enjoyed that. I do want to apologize that it didn't come out on Monday. It is Wednesday today and I'm still recording. It has been incredibly difficult for me to share this experience. And... Um, you know, talking about it is very healing as well. But when I'm talking about it, it's quite hard and emotional and it triggers a lot for me. So I've kind of stopped, started, stopped, started uh, for the last week now. So I do apologize for the lateness of sharing this podcast, but I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you've got any questions about ayahuasca or ceremonies, or if you want to connect with my shaman or anything about plant medicine, drop me a line and I'm more than happy to direct you. Thank you. Bye. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means there was a message in there for you. If you want to get more from Musa Smokeba, then tune in every Monday for my new episode. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of my guidance or bonus content. Your experience of the show means a lot to me, so I want to welcome you to leave an honest review. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Musa Stokeberg. See you all next week.